This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from our I Am sermon series. In this series, we're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus, discovering who Jesus is according to His own words, and how this impacts us today. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Well, today we have a special guest speaker. As you guys are, are generous uh, to Life Church, really you're giving through Life Church, and that, in addition to the difference that's made in our church and in our city, we partner with a bunch of different ministries uh, locally and around the nation and the world. And one of our favorite ministries is Chosen People Ministries. Dr. Rich Freeman is uh, the vice president of Chosen People Ministries. Last night he did a great Passover seder for us. It was a special night. Uh, Chosen People is, is one of the largest and the oldest uh, ministries that focuses on taking the good news of Jesus to the Jewish people around the world. I actually met Dr. Freeman and his wife, Julia, that's here with him. I actually met them when I was like nine years old. They're good friends of my parents. I grew up uh, with their son swimming in their uh, swimming pool. And so uh, uh, it's a long, long relationship. And he loves to tell stories about when I was a small, silly, stupid child. And so you can grab him after a service. So let's give a great Life Church welcome to Dr. Rich Freeman. Good morning. So whoever wants some secrets about Pastor Dave, I would be happy to share them with you. Uh, as he shared with you, my name is Rich Freeman, and I am a Jewish believer in Jesus, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Anybody from back east? <laughs> One person in the whole church. Where are you from? Connecticut, that doesn't count. Well, anyway, how you doing? So, Palm Sunday. This is kind of going to be a little bit of a uh, different type of message. But understand, as Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he entered it declaring himself to be the king. That's why he was riding on a donkey. And as he rode into Jerusalem, and everybody's yelling, Hosanna, you remember what happened after he entered? He wept over the people because he knew they didn't get why he was coming because he wasn't coming to get rid of the Romans as they hoped. He was coming to go to the cross, to die for our sins. That was the purpose of the whole Passion Week and that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, Pastor Dave asked me to include uh, part of his series, which is on the I Am's from the Gospel of John and we're gonna look at that in a moment, but I wanna kind of take a little different twist to this message. Uh, we're gonna look at the fact that Jesus died for our sins, but understand something. Go, go to the first slide. Uh, it's pretty nasty, isn't it? How many of you have ever heard of Westboro Baptist Church? Westboro Baptist Church is in Topeka, Kansas. This is at the Topeka Jewish Community Center, and they decided to have a nice demonstration to show Christian love. And uh, so they have the signs, God hates the Jews, God hates Israel, the Jews killed Jesus. They actually have a, a website, jewskilledjesus.com. Great stuff. But obviously, anti-Semitism is real, and it, it, it happens in different places. Go to the next slide. This is a pro-Palestinian rally in a college in Europe somewhere, and, you know, look at the sign. State of Israel is terrorizing its neighbors and the whole world since 1948. 
Certainly a little different perspective than, than reality, but it's there. And then this last one is really interesting. It's on a storefront in Paris that says, don't buy perfumes in Israel. Uh, the, the BDS movement, boycott, divest, and, uh, and, and sanctions is a pro-Palestinian-led movement that a number of, of mainline Protestant denominations have bought into. So in other words, don't invest in Israel, boycott Israel, because they are an oppressive uh, apartheid-type nation. And so uh, there's a lot of anti-Semitism uh, that is real. Anti-Semitism, even in the church, revolves around the Jews committing deicide. You ever hear that word, deicide? As though you could possibly kill God. Uh, but it's talking about the Jews' responsibility for killing Jesus. As I was growing up in Brooklyn, on more than one occasion, I was called Christ killer. Had no idea why, had no idea what, what the person was saying when they did that, but it was part of my growing up. I want you to listen to a quote. Listen to this. Jewish synagogues and schools should be set on fire. Their prayer books destroyed, rabbis forbidden to preach, Homes burned and property and money confiscated. They should be shown no mercy or kindness, afforded no legal protection, and these poisonous envenomed worms should be drafted into forced labor or expelled for all time. We're at fault in not slaying them. So who do you think said that? Let me hear. That would be the obvious conclusion. That's from uh, Martin Luther's book, The Jews and Their Lies. So Martin Luther is the one who said that. So you could see where Hitler got some of his, uh, some of his issues. So who, do you, who are the Christ killers? That's really what I want to look at this morning. And I want to begin uh, with the premise that the Jews killed Christ. The Bible says so. So if you would, open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Hey, Dave, I'm used to that now. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 20. We read this. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ, the Messiah? They all said, crucify him. And he said, what evil, why, what evil has he done? But they kept saying, that they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. Now I want you to look, listen carefully to verse 25. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. And that particular verse is often used to justify mistreatment of the Jewish people historically. That's something that... Uh, is pointed to as a biblical reason. So the Gospels clearly point to the Jewish responsibility for Jesus' death, but the Jewish responsibility from the point of view of the Jewish religious leaders who were threatened by Jesus. They didn't want to give up their power base, they didn't want to give up their authority, and they were threatened by Jesus, and they wanted him out of the picture. So what does Peter say? Turn to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2 is Peter's Pentecost message. And beginning in verse 22, I want you to listen carefully to what Peter has to say. And remember, this is Peter preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. 
Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God before, performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Listen to this. <clears throat> this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Don't miss that. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter's clearly putting some responsibility again on the Jewish religious leaders for turning him over to the Roman authorities and ultimately putting to him to death. Uh, when Peter and John were arrested for basically healing a cripple on, on the Sabbath, Peter says this, verse eight of chapter four, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today, <coughs> excuse me, for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to, all, to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. So, uh, again, the religious leaders are given the responsibility for Jesus' death. So the Bible does give some responsibility to the Jewish people for Jesus' death. So we can make the statement, the Jews killed Christ. How about the Romans? Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26 27, I'm sorry, in verse 27. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, took the reed, and began to beat him on the head. And after they mocked him, they took the scarlet road off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. We often do not understand deeply enough the suffering that Jesus went through. The Roman cross was not intended to be quick it was intended to be a slow, painful death. And part of the process of crucifixion was the one about to be crucified would be beaten, usually to an inch of their lives, uh, with a whip that was leather, with con which contained animal bones, pottery, and glass at the end, with the intent that when the whip took place, it would not only cut through skin, but also muscle and tissue. The Romans were brutal. And as they beat the person about to be crucified, very often as they would bleed and, and just be overwhelmed with the beating, they would have an impossible time of carrying that big crossbeam on their shoulders and often would need help, which clearly is what happened with Jesus. So the Romans clearly are the ones who put Jesus on the cross. The Romans killed Jesus. Now, I need to make a confession to you. I am a Jewish believer. My wife is Italian, 
and she happened to be born outside of Rome. So I want you to know that I have forgiven my wife for her people killing, <laughs> killing my Lord. I just thought I'd make, make that clear. I've forgiven her. So we can clearly see from the scriptures that not only is there responsibility for the Jewish religious leaders who turned him over to the Roman authorities, the Romans themselves are the ones that put him to the cross. Pontius Pilate could have stopped it at any moment, but he was a politician and he was afraid of what the mobs would do. So we all clear on that at this point? Now I wanna to go to the next point, and that's that no one killed Christ. I think it's really important that we understand that who Jesus was and the fact that he willingly came to die for our sins. That's really important. And so turn, if you would, to John chapter 10. Now, Pastor Dave asked me to speak uh, as he's doing his series on the I Ams from the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 10 is one of those I Ams. You're gonna be preaching on that? He is. So I'm not gonna say too much on it, but John chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I laid down my life for the sheep. Don't miss that. I laid down my life for the sheep. So Jesus clearly as the good shepherd is willing to give his life for the sheep. That We are the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, listen to this, the Father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Clearly, clearly, Jesus came to lay down his life. Nobody could have killed him. He was willing to lay down his life for us, whom he calls his sheep. Now understand that sheep are probably the stupidest animals on the face of the earth. They're smelly, they're stubborn, and God decided that that would be the perfect, perfect animal to use to describe our relationship to him. Just saying. Turn to John chapter 18. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture because clearly we can get a sense of who Jesus is from this passage. And I'm gonna be reading uh, from verse three. Now, how many of you were at the Passover last night? All right. At the Passover, we talked about the fact that Judas uh, was about to betray Jesus. And Jesus, at the Passover, dipped the unleavened bread in bitter herbs and said the one who would betray him is the one that he would dip the morsel and give it to him. Judas takes the morsel, and then Satan entered into Judas. Judas becomes a pawn of Satan, goes away. He's already been paid to betray Jesus and comes back with a huge mob of people. And I want you to listen how big this mob was. Verse three of John 18. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, the Roman cohort is 600 soldiers. 600 soldiers. The Roman cohort, officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So this was a mob, an almost a small army, 
who came to take away Jesus, if you remember when Judas kisses Jesus to point who he was to betray him, they're going to take him away. But listen to what happens here. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, don't miss the fact that Jesus isn't surprised by the fact that he's gonna have to die on the cross. He came knowing that that's why he came. The baby born in the manger came to die. That's the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And he knew that this was about to happen. And so he says, uh, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and, and said to them, whom do you seek? Now, they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene, the one from Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. Now, in your Bibles, if you look at the English translation, the word he should be italicized. What that means is that it's not there in the original language. The translators of the particular version that you have decided that it should be added as though Jesus is responding to them. We're looking for Jesus. Basically, he's saying, that's me. But that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is, as John points out in a number of different places in the Gospel of John, Jesus is declaring himself to be the great I am of the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was about to go to the people after God gave him his marching orders, and he said to them, he said to, to God, who shall I say sent me? Remember what God said? He said, I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Now, when Jesus says this, now this is in Greek. Jesus wasn't speaking Greek. He was likely speaking Aramaic. But as Jesus said it in the Greek, literally it says, I am. In, a, in essence, Jesus is declaring himself to be the I am of the Old Testament, God incarnate. And guess what he does? How many of you have little kids? A lot of people with little kids. You ever play peekaboo? Hide your eyes and then, well, that's what Jesus did. Only what he did was he unveiled himself just briefly enough so that they wouldn't die. And listen to what happens. Judas also who was betraying him was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. You ever notice that? They fell to the ground. This is six, 700 people coming to take Jesus away with swords and sticks and lanterns. And Jesus says, I am, and basically reveals the glory of God. And he knocked them on their keisters. That's a theological word. <laughs> so how could anybody actually kill him? Listen to what he says uh, later on in, uh, in Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 51. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus, and we know that this is Peter, reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, how many of you have seen uh, Kansas City Chiefs or the Atlanta Braves those games and people are really getting into it and they start doing Indian chants and doing this, what they call the tomahawk chop. 
That's not what Peter did. Everybody, when I, they say Peter cut off his ear, see people doing that. Nah, Peter did this. The guy ducked, didn't duck far enough, and Peter sliced off his ear. In other gospel accounts, Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on him, which shows truly love thine enemy, huh? But what is Jesus saying? He says, listen to this. Put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Listen to this. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? A legion is 6,000. So we're talking about 72,000 angels. How many of you have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember what happened when the Nazis opened up the ark? That's what Jesus is talking about. You don't think I could do that, Peter? I'm here to do that. I'm here to give my life. So even though we can see in the Bible the Jewish responsibility for the death of Jesus through their religious leaders, the Romans putting him on the cross, which he didn't stay on, by the way. He's not on the cross. He's alive. What we see clearly Jesus, as the great I am of the Old Testament, could not be killed. He willingly came to sacrifice himself. Nobody killed Jesus. But there's a kicker to that, isn't there? Because the reality is, we all killed Jesus. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. <laughs> verse three. This is Paul speaking. He says, "For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So what we have here, Paul is saying something that we have all read and, and seen. In the Gospels, Jesus died. He went to the cross. He was dead on Friday, rose on Sunday. And yet, it says according to the scriptures, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians before the Gospels were written. So when Paul says, according to the scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. So my question for you is, do you think there's some place in the Old Testament that speaks about Jesus dying for our sins, being buried, being resurrected? And the answer, obviously, is yes. And to see that, turn in, the, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. This is the clearest presentation of the gospel in the Old Testament. It's amazing. Isaiah wrote this about seven centuries before the cross. Now, just a little background on Isaiah 53 because I think it's important for you to understand context. In the typical synagogue service, the Old Testament is read throughout the course of the year in different spots, different passages, but about 90 to 95% of the Old Testament is read. 
When they come to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 12, which is where the, the passage stops, where uh, the passage begins, I should say, it stops there, and the following week in the readings, they go to Isaiah 54 verse 1. So what I'm telling you is Isaiah 53, this passage that so clearly speaks of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is never read in the synagogue. They are totally oblivious to it. Everybody get what I'm saying? So if you go uh, and share this with a Jewish person, the likelihood is they're totally unfamiliar with it. In fact, the reality is that most Jewish people have no idea who Isaiah is. They think he's a basketball player and 53 is his number. <laughs> really. Uh, there is such a misnomer, a misunderstanding that Jewish people are biblically literate, and very few are. So if you have a Jewish person in your life and you're concerned that you don't know the Bible well enough, I'm talking about the Old Testament, well enough to share with them, understand that that's not the case at all. You know the Bible much better than they do. The likelihood is. And so don't be afraid to share. And this is a passage that, that is obvious to share. So this is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And we read this, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, for our peace fell upon him, and by his scourging, by his stripes, we are healed. And I've already explained the, the brutality of the, of the Romans, how they beat uh, those being executed so badly that their back was just a mess of stripes from the whipping. That's what this is talking about, his suffering. But I want you to notice that. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. This is very personal. Put the, uh, that slide up next. Okay, look carefully. Everybody know who that is? Who's that? That's Lucy from Charlie Brown. I'm, I'm a big fan of Charlie Brown comics. And in this particular scenario, Charlie Brown is walking and sees Lucy in that little hut. Psychiatric help, five cents, which is not a bad deal, is it? And the doctor is in. Now, Pastor Tony Evans at a conference that I attended once, once said, you know, if he couldn't be a preacher, he would want to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist so that after the session is over, he would tell the people to pay him $300 so that they could come back next week. <laughs> Not a bad deal, five cents. So Charlie Brown is walking to Lucy and he sees her in this little hut and he wants to know why she wants to be a psychiatrist. And he says, Lucy, why do you want to be a psychiatrist? And Lucy says to him, because I want to help mankind. Very noble. Doesn't it sound noble? And Charlie Brown says, but I thought you hate mankind. She says, no, I love mankind. It's people I hate. <laughs> so what, what's my point? We have a tendency to take the gospel and kind of soften it. 
Jesus died for mankind. Isn't that nice? It's a true statement. He did die for mankind. Not all of mankind is going to accept what he did, but he died for mankind. That kind of takes the sting out of the gospel, doesn't it? But if we say Jesus died because of my sins and make it personal, that changes everything, doesn't it? See, the gospel has to be personal. That's the whole purpose for Jesus coming. And if you or I were the only person who ever lived, Jesus still would have gone to the cross. That's how much God loves us. That's the whole point of this Passion Week. Jesus enters Jerusalem. Stop and think about the picture. In the very first Passover, the children of Israel are told that on the 10th day of the month, which is the month of Nisan, they were to bring the lamb into their household. Now, the households, if there was a single person, they were combined, so those households represented little communities. Now, Jesus enters Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday today, and it is the ninth day of the month of Nisan, which is Selection Day. So he's riding on the colt of a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy of Zechariah, declaring himself to be King Messiah, and by implication, offering him up, himself up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what they're crying, Hosanna, Lord, save us, because he's coming into Jerusalem declaring himself King Messiah. Now, the people wanted a king to get rid of the Roman oppressors. That's what they wanted. And so as Jesus enters Jerusalem, they're crying out, Lord, save us, because you see, the whole point of Palm Sunday is that it represents the coming king. In the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles was a kingdom feast. It was the final feast of the Feast of Israel, and it was the feast where the king would establish his kingdom. And the people saw what he was doing, and what did they throw down? Palm branches, because on the Feast of Tabernacles, those tabernacles are built with the palm branches. So they saw this as the coming king. Jesus recognized that they didn't get it, wept over Jerusalem, and that night would have begun the 10th day of the month of Nisan. That's the day that the lamb is brought into the household, and for four days, the lamb is carefully observed to make sure that he's everything that he's supposed to be. So as uh, the first Passover, the papas bring the little lamb into the house, and the lamb becomes part of the family. The papas watch carefully to make sure that that lamb is perfect, no imperfections whatsoever, no spot or blemish. And then four days later, the papas, the head of that little household, the head of that little community, makes a pronouncement. The lamb is worthy to be slain. In the same way as Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, offering himself up as the lamb of God, that night began that four-day period when he enters the community of Israel, and they are going to question and make sure that he's everything he's supposed to be. And there's a number of times that the religious leaders are asking him all sorts of questions. Then eventually he celebrates Passover with his disciples on Thursday night, turned over to the Jewish authorities first, then to the Roman authorities for execution, and then he's interviewed by Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate 
is in essence the head of the community, the same way the papas were the head of their own little community. And Pontius Pilate also makes a pronouncement. I find no fault with this man. The lamb is worthy to be slain. Jesus then goes to the cross as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Paul in 1 Corinthians writes, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. That's the point of Palm Sunday, the beginning of this entrance into the community to make sure that the lamb is everything that it's supposed to be and the lamb was worthy to be slain. That's the story of Palm Sunday. And we recognize, even though the Bible seems to say that the Jews have some responsibility in the killing of Jesus, the Romans certainly put him on the cross, but nobody could have done that. He could have stopped it at any moment if he didn't willingly sacrifice himself. But the reality is, we are the Christ killers. If you wanna know who's the Christ killer, it's you, it's me. We're the Christ killers. We're the reason Jesus went to the cross. And we should forever be thankful that he not only died for our sins, but he rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. As you prepare to celebrate Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, please remember, the Christ killers is us. We're the ones that caused him to go to the cross. And because God loved us that much, we can have eternal life. Amen? Amen. If you would put up that slide of the QR code, this is a way for you to be involved with our ministry. Normally we have papers, but I was told by Pastor Dave, you are such a tech-savvy church that everything is digital. So I am not tech-savvy, but I do have a slide with a QR code. So if you scan the QR code, that will take you to the landing page of our ministry, our personal landing page. And it is there that you can get our prayer letter and be part of our prayer team. My wife and I are missionaries in South Florida, which is one of the largest Jewish communities, not only in the United States, but in the world. There are three quarters of a million Jewish people where we live. And uh, we have a wonderful mission field. And you as a church, and we're very thankful for this, have been supporting our ministry for many years. I go all the way back to the high school. That's how long I've been coming to the church. And uh, it's, a, it's a joy to be part of this church. But if you would like to receive our prayer letter or make a donation to our ministry, you could do that through that QR code. And we have a book table in the back. Uh, most of the books are gone. But uh, for those of you who were at the Passover and those of you who weren't, this is something called the Messianic Passover Haggadah. The Haggadah is, the word means the telling. And this is a way for you to celebrate Passover with your family. This Passover is a very strong family event. And so this is a way for you to celebrate it by going through the book. For those of you who were here last night, what I shared with you is it was a very abbreviated version. This is the full telling of the Passover. There's music in it for you to sing. There's Hebrew prayers transliterated into English. You could sound like a Hebrew expert, but it's a wonderful way to prepare your children, especially with the weekend coming up, to understand that Jesus died to fulfill Passover. Passover is a picture of redemption by the blood of the Lamb. So this is a great book for that. Uh, unfortunately, my book sold out, The Lord is My Shepherd, Dianu, 
But if you would like a copy of my book, you could go to Amazon, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd, Dainu, and put in my name, and it will pop up, and you can get it from Amazon. And I saw on TV that they're trying to end Amazon Prime. Is that true? There's a commercial that says, don't end our prime or something. But anyway, you could still, if you have Amazon Prime, you could get it shipped for free. Uh, but that's the only way you could get it right now because uh, we don't sell it on our website yet. And how many of you know who, who know who Joel Rosenberg is? Nobody knows who Joel Rosenberg is? Well, Joel Rosenberg is a Jewish believer. He's a novelist, great writer. And uh, I would encourage, if you like to read thriller novels, his novels are great. And they also share the gospel in the middle of them. But this is not a novel. This is a nonfiction book that Joel wrote because God has given him an incredible platform to be able to reach not only Israelis, Joel lives in Israel now, but also Arab leaders. And he writes about his experiences meeting with Arab leaders who are now making peace with Israel when they were always enemies. So the title of the book is called Enemies and Allies. He goes into some explanation of the Abrahamic Accords that were uh, negotiated with when President Trump was in office. And this is a great nonfiction book, and I would encourage you, there's a few copies left, to pick up that copy. And so um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and I would encourage you, again, if you'd like to receive our prayer letter, please go online. Uh, if you don't have the QR code, chosenpeople.com slash Freeman, and you can get to that website. But let's pray and thank the Lord for this day. Lord, we're grateful for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet asked Jesus into their hearts, that they would have a desire to make that transaction, that just as the children of Israel had to personally apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their houses, so now we as individuals need to personally apply the blood of the lamb to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us that even while we were yet sinners, our Messiah died for us so that we could have eternal life. Thank you for that incredible gift. And I pray if there's anyone who needs to do that, even now you would be speaking to their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of the I Am series and to hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.